Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do where I talk about the stuff I've seen since the last time I did one of these. It has been a while, and yes, it is just me, and that's kind of why I'm doing one this week, because it's been a while, because um, uh, if things go according to the plan, Tyler will be back on the journal next week, and in order to not make that journal a million years long, I need to kind of clear the shoot, clear the chamber of all the stuff I've seen since the last time we did one of these. Um... So I'm going to, this is a lot of movies, but this is going to be something of a lightning round. Um, man, uh, a lot of noise outside. I'm already distracted. Uh, so I'm going to just jump right in. I'm going to start with a documentary from 2018 that I watched uh, called Robin Williams Come Inside My Mind, uh, directed by Marina Zenovich. Um, this is pretty much your uh, um, standard, you know, Biodoc, um, and so uh, as that, um, I I um, I feel like I didn't I, I like as often happens with these kind of documentaries. I feel like well, I know some things that I didn't know about Robin Williams, um, but more mostly biographical things that I could have looked up. I don't know that this documentary gave us too much insight into in into him um and it also you know it's very celebratory of him definitely like didn't mention you, you know joke theft ac- accusations and, and and other stuff like that i feel bad bringing it up because it does paint a picture of a very like generally nice warm uh uh man but um uh i i i i can't say that i would recommend it uh, outside of you know someone who wants to learn about robin williams um uh next up for me is actually a rewatch i don't always talk about uh rewatches but when it's maybe one of increasingly becoming one of my favorite movies of all time why not um so i rewatched uh jacques Rivette's celine and julie go boating it was my first time watching the blu-ray i had seen it on film at um cine family years ago before um that place uh rightfully got me too out of existence um uh but uh the 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 movie still um cast its uh spell over me which is um a very um intentional choice of words given that it is about people going into sort of like enchanted fugue states and and and, and whatnot um so much in the movie selena selena julie if you don't know uh, are, uh just a brief outline the uh strangers who become friends and then stumble into this house where they whenever they're in there they um become caught up in this ongoing sort of melodrama um that they become characters they become like the maid or whatever and then they um only remember if they uh um uh, when they eat a certain candy so they don't remember it when it happened later they get back and they eat the candy and it brings the memories back um and so they're kind of like in a lot of like great the way of a lot of great art films it's um about uh watching movies in many ways it's because they're um you actually can see them at times in ways that are often very funny uh reacting to 
the memories that they're, so we're watching it as we're watching a movie and then we cut to them as if they're an audience like uh reacting to the movie um uh it's uh it's 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 so much uh it's so much fun um and and it's uh quite lovely but uh, i'll say the thing that stood that stood out to me uh watching it this time was how interesting it is because it's only the second time i've seen it so i wasn't thinking about this the first time i saw it because i didn't know what the whole movie was but watching it again and realizing how much of the main story has to do with these jumps in time these ellipses you know they they uh jump from one place to suddenly they're in a cab you know they're reliving memories they're jumping back and forth through time um it it was very kind of funny to me to realize how much the early part of the film is like without ellipsis <laughs> like um when uh and now i've already forgotten who's who but um when celine first meets julie or the other way around because one of them uh drops her scarf and she like follows her to try and give her her scarf back we're just like for minutes on end just like watching them there's it doesn't cut to like oh she caught up to him they're just like watching her follow uh the woman uh through the city um and it felt like a obviously very pointed intentional like balance um uh between that and, and what the movie would become um next up is bj novak's directorial debut vengeance which is out this week um and uh this movie kind of reminds me you know in a way it reminded me of my you know like i i love the band pulp but i've always had this problem with the song common people um in that it sort of is doing exactly the thing it's it's this the song is supposed to be um uh lambasting those uh who would romanticize uh the 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 lower classes but then it does that in its own way and i feel like vengeance is a movie that is about like um coastal liberal condescension toward uh middle america um but it is it's it's like this fake humility that it's more it more feels like it's patting itself on the back for being so humble than than anything else um so bj novak plays a uh a, a writer who writes for um new york magazine and um the, it has a good hook the premise is that he is kind of a ladies man kind of a player has a bunch of like uh women he you know uh keeps in his his phone under like because he can't bother to remember their names so uh, under under weird things like where he met them or whatever um and uh one of these women um dies and has apparently been telling her family that he is her boyfriend and so he has to go uh he is sort of guilted into going uh to very small town texas to attend her funeral and then gets caught up in uh, the investigation of of her death and whether it was uh, an accident as it at first seemed or or something else um and it's you know bj novak's a, a funny guy there's there's some some funny stuff in it but it like it it still seems like it's so pleased with the points that it's making um that it can't seem to get out of its own way the only uh <laughs> time it really does is um at least, and then until the end but i won't spoil the end uh but 
Ashton Kutcher plays like a local, uh, um, I don't know, music impresario or whatever, um, working out of Marfa, uh, which is a, you know, an artist, uh, haven, um, in, in West Texas. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, it just seems like Ashton Kutcher, the thing, cause I wasn't a big Ashton Kutcher fan when he was new to the scene you know, on, on that 70s show because it felt like he was trying so hard. He was so eager to please and he was kind of like doing his version of Chris Farley and like it didn't seem like it was uh, original and now I feel like he's been, it seems like maybe he, at least in this movie, he doesn't feel the pressure to try and be anything and so he's like relaxed into this weirdo, uh, cool guy role and, um, but it's also, you know, it's often the case in such movies that I have a problem with where like the role that is least burdened with the things that I dislike about the movie ends up becoming my favorite, my favorite role. I think about like how, um, uh, Chris Hemsworth is the best part of the, the 2016 Ghostbusters, um, uh, movie because he's not saddled with all the, uh, the, the overworked plot and, and, uh, and, and stuff he just gets to be silly and so Ashton Kutcher isn't exactly being silly in Vengeance he's being weird but he just gets to be weird um no one else uh has to um all right jumping you know be going back and forth um not necessarily intentionally but um um back and forth between like new releases and older releases um that i that i watched on blu-ray so i watched 1961's hercules and the captive women directed by vittorio cotafavi um uh and uh yeah it's a fun very schlocky uh movie you know somewhat cheap but also not as cheap as i thought uh, it was going to be going in like there's not there's some decent uh, uh, sets but um, it does seem like it's mostly just a a, a beefcake movie um, that uh, where Hercules uh, uh, gets roped into some uh, underground secret uh, society cult land kingdom uh thing and it has some like over the top comic uh like cartoonish violence i don't mean violence in like a there's not a lot of blood or whatever but the 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 fight scenes are um hilariously uh but i don't i don't want to sound like i'm saying hilarious like i'm mocking it it's it's not that thing of like look how dumb this movie is that's not what i'm doing the movie is fun and it was meant to be uh fun and um uh yeah it's perfectly fine gonna move on to a documentary called the territory um which uh is sorry i have to take a break excuse me um uh it's i i feel bad i like with the robin williams documentary like I feel like a snob because for the reasons that most people who come to a documentary like this will come to it, it works. Um, 
it's it's definitely um but but I, I i have this it feels so callous almost to be like uh well this is just a standard format for a documentary especially when we're talking about something like the uh devastation of um native lands in brazil that's what the territory is is about um it's about uh how jair bolsonaro the president now i can't remember what the title is of of brazil like one of the things he uh ran on was that there would be no more protected land for indigenous people in 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 brazil and so uh the the movie follows one particular segment directed by alex pritz um follows one particular particular territory um and the uh already drastically reduced by um by infringement uh population of of this um indigenous uh group of people and now how there are essentially like you know uh 1800s style like homesteaders coming and just saying like just brazilian saying i'm going to take this piece of land i'm going to build on it and then it's going to be mine um uh and i think i mean that's certainly you know the comparisons between bolsonaro and Donald Trump are apparent and have been made by by many people, but also the comparison that I just made between um, uh, what's happening now uh, in in Brazil and what happened um, hundreds of years ago in in the U.S. Uh, to to indigenous peoples is um, uh, it's all there for the reading, and so I think um, the the movie is. Um, well, it's not a fun watch, but that's not my uh, complaint about it. Um, uh, my complaint is it feels like it has a made-for-TV type of feel, um, but it's uh, uh, it definitely achieves its goals of of instruction um, and uh, the stoking of of anger. Uh, all right, we are, we are motoring along. We are moving. Um, next up, uh, a movie I was looking forward to, and I think I was not, uh, I didn't love it, but I wasn't at all disappointed by it. Uh, I found a lot to, to like about it. Uh, John Michael McDonough's The Forgiven, uh, which is based on a, a, a novel, um, um, well, I've forgotten the, uh, the, um, writer's name. Uh, Lawrence Osborne is the novelist, uh, and it's kind of a, a a spin on the like rules of the game Gossard Park type of like you know rich people weekend at the country house um, type of movie. Except instead of a country house in England, it's a villa in the Moroccan desert um, that a fabulously wealthy couple played by. Um, Matt Smith and Caleb Landry-Jones are throwing a weekend-long party, um, and the, a couple played by Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain are on their way from Morocco, um, and on the road on the way there, they run over and kill a Moroccan boy, and um, that's where uh, things uh, kick off. Uh, John Michael McDonough is not for everyone. He's very 
his 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 dialogue and the way that he shoots um, and edits can be very mannered in a way that can feel not only self-conscious but a little arrogant like he he clearly thinks very highly of what he's making um but i don't think you know you say one could say arrogant i could say confident i could say he's a confident filmmaker i i um i i like his movies longtime listeners know that i love um calvary um uh, which is a weird thing to say about a movie that is as bleak as calvary but i do love it uh, and the forgiven is definitely not up to the level of Calvary really, or even up to the guard, which was his, his first movie. And I haven't seen war on everyone, but, um, you can see some of the same worldview at work in, in the forgiven, as you could see in Calvary where, um, like a, a transgression has been committed and things are not going to be right or balanced until some sort of like physical violent retribution is 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 paid out um and and so that sort of like you know it's the 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 boy dies right at the beginning of the movie but the Chekhov's gun is uh what's going to happen to Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain or is someone else going to pay the price you know which obviously would speak to what goes on in Calvary and not to ruin too much about that but um uh that sort of dread uh hangs over it but it's also a um portrait of very very wealthy people that i think i kind of enjoyed that it's critical but not as damning as i think someone with my politics would would like it to be and i found that intriguing especially i mentioned matt smith and caleb landry jones and they definitely come off uh at at first as um a nearly like homophobic stereotype of uh of of blithe and and blithely uh cruel and ostentatious and decadent uh gay men but uh we very quickly realize once the boy dies that they um might be the most like decent compassionate people in uh at least you know among the party goers uh so i i like that that sort of playing around with with expectations and and but not again not in a way that isn't earned you know he's um matt smith and caleb Lenny jones characters aren't going to come like save the day he's just john mcmuthan is just writing uh characters who are interesting and and not predictable uh and uh yeah so um i don't know i think it's definitely good enough to break the uh jessica chastain hasn't been in a movie i liked for <laughs> seven years curse so this is it from Crimson Peak to The Forgiven, uh, finally, finally made it. Uh, next up, 1937's History is Made at Night, directed by Frank. Why did I? Why did I go down this road? Why did I say I could have just not mentioned the director? Now I have to figure out how to say his name. Borzage, Borzaghi. I don't know. But History is is Made at Night movie i definitely um heard of uh and, and and wanted to see is uh it's pretty fantastic um 
stars uh, Gene Arthur and Charles Boyer. Um, also, Colin Clive plays a um, a son of a bitch, which is uh, you know in his wheelhouse <laughs> a, a, a little bit. But um, it's interesting. It reminds me kind of like the the um, uh, inciting incident is not that dissimilar to a movie I saw at TCM Fest this year, Jewel Robbery, where um, Charles Boyer is not actually a robber, but he is overhears something and is uh, um, mistaken for a, a, a robber and Gene Arthur sort of goes along with him to get away from her ass, rich asshole uh, husband, um, played by Colin Clive. Uh, and, uh, but so it's a very like romantic movie. Um, and, uh, uh, Charles Boyer, who was also in love affair, which is the movie, the first an affair to remember, um, clearly had a, uh, I mean, this is only two movies, so it's not a whole career, but that's two movies where he, um, romances someone on a luxury liner <laughs> um but uh the luxury liner part we'll get to later that's kind of the climax is that charles boyer and gene arthur find themselves on a uh ship crossing the atlantic that hits an iceberg and um they might sink sink and die um so it's, i mean it's uh what 25 years after the titanic sank i think that's enough time to make popular entertainment about uh, about a terrible tragedy but um here's what's really a really weird coincidence i'm sure other people have pointed this out that the movie is you know referencing the sinking of the titanic it also has a character take the hindenburg blimp like this movie came out a couple months before the Hindenburg, Hindenburg disaster. It's w- very weird how this movie inadvertently touched on two of the major disasters of the first half of the uh, 20th century. But um, it's really about, you know, Charles Boyer and Gene Arthur uh, uh, just swooning over each other, and, and um, they're great. Speaking of swooning, speaking of love, the next movie is a documentary called Fire of Love, uh, directed by Sarah Dosa, and we did it, guys. We landed at a documentary that I love. Uh, I knew this. I knew we could do it. I knew we could get one in this movie journal, a uh, a really good uh, documentary. And this is a movie about. Um, see, this is why what happens when I wait so long to do these is I, I forget um, uh, details. Uh, Katya and Maurice Kraft, a a couple, meaning both two people, but also a married couple, um, who were both who were both uh, volcanologists who traveled around the world, getting up close um, with with volcanoes, and uh, most importantly, most crucially for making this such a great documentary, shooting footage of them, up close footage of of volcanoes, um, and uh, we know going in. Uh, that they died doing this. They died on a volcano in the early 90s. Uh, we also know that if we saw... Um, uh, what was it called? The... the um, 
Werner Herzog documentary about volcanoes that I've forgotten the name of and I'm not going to look it up right now. Um, he also included a section about the the crafts. Um, and it's interesting to watch this documentary having seen that because Her- Herzog, you know, he, he treated them not unlike he treated Timothy Treadwell in in Grizzly Man, that there's a certain element of like they got what they were asking for by having too much hubris, by getting too close to the um, destructive parts of of nature. That's that's kind of that that impression comes through a little bit in in Herzog's documentary. But Saradosa's documentary is very um, uh, loving and, and very um, positive about what they did because they weren't just like daredevils; they were taking this footage and studying these volcanoes up close with the uh, uh, end result being that they would spread this footage and spread awareness and the idea is to help humanity better understand how to live in a world with volcanoes and how um, to make fewer people die from volcanoes. (laughs) That was was their viewpoint. Maybe they um, they're Maybe they were a little bit uh, cocky or something, but uh, they didn't. They didn't have it coming. Um, but they got so much beautiful footage of of lava flows and and volcano, you know, lava bombs uh, exploding, and um, the that footage is used uh, very well throughout the movie. And also, the movie is narrated by Miranda July, and I love. I wrote about this in my review, which you can find at battleshipretention.com, um, that, like, Miranda Jolly very clearly not a professional voice artist. Uh, and yet there's something so distinctive and um, emotional uh, uh, um, and entrancing about her voice that she's perfect for this. Like, I wouldn't mind hearing Miranda Jolly uh, narrate more documentaries. Um uh, it's it's that her sort of like almost like raspy whisper uh, is a big part of the spell that this movie casts. Hey, speaking of movies that cast spells, uh, I'm so glad that I uh, gave in to the hype. I don't know why I describe it that way, <laughs> um, but I'm so glad I listened to the hype and made sure to go to a theater to see SS Rajamouli's RRR which uh, stands for Rise, Roar, Re- Rise, Roar, Revolt. Um, a three-hour-plus historical action epic uh, from India that uh, is such a huge... I mean, I, we've talked a lot on this podcast in, in recent months with me and others like me um, being so into movies like Top Gun Maverick and Ambulance, like um, the type of movies I maybe would have looked down my nose at when I was younger and maybe not entirely incorrectly, but the values have shifted because of what we have lost in mainstream filmmaking, that that so much of the um, biggest movies, the most expensive blockbuster movies are they seem to be increasingly artless they're spectacle but flat empty spectacle um they're content and not cinema 
uh, uh, I don't want to get into the argument of whether Marvel movies are cinema. By definition, they are, but I also understand and somewhat agree with what uh, Martin Scorsese was saying about them. Um, while I don't agree with the verbiage, I guess. Uh, anyway, so... Um, but RRR is, I think, I would like to think that at any time in my life, if I had seen this, no matter how uh, cynical or snobby I, I was in that particular moment, I'd like to think that I would have been completely blown away by just the 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 scale and the power of the the imagery and the emotions and the filmmaking and the emoting um, from the two um, main stars who basically it's a... Uh, N.T. Rama Rao Jr. and Ram Sharan, I think, are the actors' names. And it's, um, yeah, about two guys who find themselves in the same city on competing missions, but they don't know that they're in competing, like, undercover missions. Uh, when they befriend each other, they become besties. Uh, and so it's a, um, a great movie about, um, male friendship, but it's also a movie about like people swinging through lakes of fire and like wrestling tigers and, and uh, uh, just uh, explosions and of course musical numbers and um, it's it's uh, an enormous and almost like primal uh, tale of friendship and betrayal and murder and evil and good and just all the big things that great big movies are about. Um, and I'm not, this, this is not to say that I'm uh, rubber stamping the movie's politics, which I don't really know enough about Indian politics, but I know that some people have uh, found this particular brand of violent nationalism to be like, uh, obviously it's couched in fuck the English, the English are the, the, the villains and, and I'm all for like an anti-colonial uh, uh, message, but I understand people who know more than I do about uh, the politics have have said uh, maybe you know the the people you're this movie is aligned with aren't necessarily the best. Uh, I don't know all that. I'm just saying this to couch to make sure it doesn't sound like I'm um, endorsing something that I'm not. Uh, but I am endorsing making uh, colonizers the 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 completely on like these aren't like nuanced villains um ray stevenson plays just the you know he's the 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 monster he's the 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 guy they gotta get um who represents you know all of uh the oppressive um and dehumanizing english rule um uh, but the movie is so big and, and 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 so fun um i say um a lot don't i all right, let's move on to a movie that has the most like art house festivaly <laughs> title. Um, I couldn't have even come up with it myself. Uh, but this is all I'm being dismissive. But I actually really, really like the movie. Uh, the director's name is Jacqueline Lenzu, and the movie is called Moon. Sixty-six questions. Um, it's not really important why it's called that. Uh, the what the movie is really about is. Um, a young woman, but a woman, an adult, uh, has to move back in with her father, who is unspecified ill, but ill in a way that affects his mental fa- faculties as well as his physical ones. 
Um, and so she's, you know, family comes to visit her mom from whom her father's divorced, you know, is shows up here and there, but for long stretches of time, she's alone with her father, except that he's in many ways, not the father that she knew. Um, and, uh, the, there's a, there's a, um, real beautiful, like aching bittersweetness to the way that, um, you know, it's a common thing when you go back home, you go back, even when you're adult, you go back to your parents' house, you regress a little bit, you become a little bit more, you start to fill the roles of the the kid you were when you lived with these people, when you lived in this house. Um, and so we're seeing that happen with Artemis is the, is the, the girl's name, the woman's name. Sorry. Uh, I'm saying girl because she's like spent so much time in the movie acting like a, a kid. We're seeing that happen at the same time that because of the, the deteriorating uh, mental faculties of her father, he's also sort of becoming a little more childlike at the same time. And so we're seeing this blend of Artemis losing her father and then, but also, in a in in a tragic way developing a new relationship with him uh, at the same time um the actress name is uh, sophia oh why did i once again why do i do this to myself now i have to look it up sophia uh Kukali is the actress who plays artemis and it's a fantastic role she um it feels like uh, it it feel it reminded me of another recent movie, a Canadian movie called Anne at thirteen Anne at thirteen thousand feet, and I think it's better than Anne at thirteen thousand feet. But that also that movie also had a terrific central um, performance. And now, to be fair, I obviously have to look up um, the the woman who played uh, Anne, uh, Dara Campbell, Dara Campbell. I don't know how you say it, um, but. Um, similarly a great like physical but also interior like central performance just just fully inhabiting this this character who is strange in time in ways that are alternatingly charming and off-putting um and and still loving the character and not judging the character um there also seems to be i wrote about this in my review too um a little bit of a trend uh, I mean I guess three movies makes a trend right of um, adults taking care of their ailing parents uh, in, in this in this year you've had um, Noe Gaspar's Vortex uh, and then also uh, Scott McGee and David Something's uh, Montana Story which which we talked about on the last movie journal I think um, not sure why that's uh, not sure why that's 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 popping up um but let's uh let me take a uh quick uh drink of water okay um thank you for uh bearing with me there um the the next uh 
movie for me. Another uh, a, a big uh, kind of blind spot for me. Um, but still one of many Godard films I still hadn't hadn't seen. I've still got uh, a, a lot to, to to get to. But I watched. I guess I'll Americanize the name. Masculine feminine. Um, I'm sure that's not uh, masculine feminine or something like that. Um, um, so uh, yeah. Uh, this is, this is prime, um, you know, sixties Godard. And I, I, I think it's view of youth. I mean, these aren't like kids, but it's a movie about, uh, people in, in their twenties. And I, I think, I think there's a, you know, Godard's films are generally leftist films, and the characters in Masculine and Feminine are leftists, but the movie is uh, not, the the character's not just mouthpieces for the movie. The movie is uh, looking at the characters and is looking at them more maybe clearly than they 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 look at themselves especially you know it's it's easier when you abstract and the movie is an abstraction it is 15 short vignettes from these characters lives um that um don't necessarily have uh anything to do with with one another or necessarily tell a um a a straightforward story um or at least plot uh but it there's there's something very Godard in a way that I love about him and also like can be off-putting at times that I do think he has a um, somewhat... I mean, somewhat is an understatement when you get to some of the later films, but he has a misanthropic view of humanity, but he still has fascination <laughs> with with people. And so... Masculine Feminine is a movie that's often about watching people talk, but that what they're saying is not what the movie's saying. Um, it's not a speechifying movie, even though it has people, you know, talking at great length uh, uh, in it. And I, I think that, like, that push and pull between, like, I think Godard thinks these characters are dumb, but I also kind of think he's not in love with them, but he's uh he has compassion for them at the same time uh that that uh that mixture really works for me in in his movies and and so i would uh having having scratched this uh blind spot off my list i would put it in the 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 upper tier of um of godard uh all right moving on to another documentary i because so I talk about these movies in the order that I watched them, and so they often have nothing to do with one another. So uh, it's weird to jump from uh, 60s Godard to a 2015 made-for-Netflix documentary about Tig Notaro called Tig. Um, uh, and it, it takes as its jumping-off point Tig's famous um, set at the uh, uh, Largo with the Coronet, um, where she announced that she had cancer uh, in her set and did an entire set uh, about that. Um, and um, it, so it starts from there and follows her through, you know, she had 
multiple illnesses and a huge loss in 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 her life with her her, her mother passing away uh and the movie is about her sort of like um coming through all this and then at the same time while the movie so the, that that's kind of like the the movie works for me because i'm a tignataro fan and i just like seeing her be um because she's very funny but also very um kind and thoughtful and warm at the same time um and i uh, uh I, I really uh, i really like spending time with her i think there's an opportunity missed though in that so much of the movie is telling not showing and part of that is by necessity because the things that it's docu- most of the things that it's documenting already happened um and so it has to be like interviewing tig and her friends about the things that happened like it has it has to be that to tell the story i understand it's not the most interesting filmmaking um to me but the 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 real missed opportunity to me is that while um while the movie is being filmed tig is developing a friendship that will turn into a romantic relationship uh with the woman that she's now with and and has since had um uh kids with or okay i don't know i I don't know everything about tig's personal life that's not for me to know everything but uh and my biggest criticism of, of the documentary tig is that even though that's happening while we're making the movie i still feel like it's telling and not showing it's a lot about interviewing tig and stephanie about the relationship with tig saying i felt this and it's like do you were you not given enough access that you could have found this in their interactions, found this in their faces? Um, that you, were you not around enough to 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 get the story while you were filming? Um, you still have to like interview them about it after the fact. Um, I found that kind of disappointing, but it's um, still it's you know an hour and a half a tig. So um, what are you gonna do? Uh, all right. Uh, wow. Just really rocketing from one, one type of movie to, uh, another, um, next up is a 1966, um, Swiss movie called the price of sin or letterbox calls it the, uh, the doctor speaks out. Um, and, uh, this is a, uh, a movie about, abortion that like is clearly uh something weird kind of like uh sorry something weird for those who don't know is like a releasing film like they release old movies i wasn't saying the phrase something weird i'm saying the company something weird was involved in 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 putting this out um on on blu-ray and it is weird that it's like the price of sin and it's like uh clearly positioning itself in the marketing as uh a uh, some sort of sensationalistic uh movie but it's actually kind of a uh somewhat dry and at least in its attempts surprisingly even-handed look at uh, uh abortion and um these two main doctors who both have who are on different sides of the uh uh, morality of abortion, uh, abortion, abortion debate. <laughs> I'm sad that Tyler wasn't here to make fun of me for saying abortion. Um, abortion debate. Um, uh, 
anyway um uh and they so they're on opposite sides but they also like really respect each other and they make passionate uh arguments in in favor while we see um uh women get abortions safe medical abortions from doctors women who are unable to get abortions from doctors get the quote-unquote back alley abortions that um lead to more death and, and suffering and it just seems like the the movie is just a, a kind of overview in a dr- dramatized way of a lot about this um debate holy christ i still have a lot to go um oh wages of sin is what it's sorry price of sin is the um fucking uh one sheet on letterboxd but wages of sin is what the blu-ray is 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 uh being released as okay okay it's time to commit 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself begin your new smile journey with bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks just order your at-home impression kit today for only 14.95 at bite.com Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Moving on to Charlotte Colbert's She Will, a movie that is getting a surprising amount of attention at least in in uh, circles that i read uh, and i don't really understand why um it stars um alice krieg who a couple years ago was the witch in gretel and hansel and oz perkins gretel and hansel which is a movie that i really liked um and i really especially liked uh, her performance in it and she was the main reason i wanted to see um she will um in uh in this movie she is um a woman who uh, she's a famous actress who has just had a double mastectomy and has um uh gone to this like sort of uh secretive um elite countryside like uh, exclusive countryside retreat in in scotland i think uh yeah the description here says scotland um and while she's there weird stuff uh starts happening because like it was the retreat is on the site where the where um witches were burned in centuries past and so there's this um rumor that the soil has healing powers because of the ashes of the um murdered women uh in it that's all very interesting but what's not interesting uh, unfortunately is the way the movie looks it just it it looks very um i guess direct to video is not i don't i don't know what do we call that term anymore um but uh it it looks like a uh a, a cheap b b movie um sometimes it's too dark sometimes it's too bright there's a lot of um unmotivated wide angles and um you've also got i want to say uh there's a specific revenge plot that i won't get into um but it's uh half-baked and and malcolm mcdowell who's a very good actor unfortunately has to play a i don't know like a 
a catch-all for a number of um, uh, actual men who have been in the news in the past five years or, or so. Um, and then the the last thing I'll say about the cast that I will be less kind than I was to Malcolm McDowell. There was a time that I liked when Rupert Everett was in a movie. Now I'm like, oh God, he's just gone so over the top. He's he's so broad in a in an obnoxious way now that uh, he was a not that I was loving the movie anyway, but he was kind of a poison pill for the movie for me. Um, moving on to a 1981 documentary um, called Trances, which is a, about a, uh, we're back to Morocco, um, a, a documentary about a, a Moroccan musical group called Nas El Gawane, I think. Um, but uh, um, it's, feels like a weird comparison to to make but uh as a music documentary it kind of reminded me of summer of um summer of soul um from last year because it has a lot of great performance footage that really gets across how fun a band these guys are and how fun it is to see them um but then it also illustrates that there's like uh political and legal issues going on with 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 them and and with their status as a secular rock band and you know in uh in the arab world um and uh uh, yeah and yet like the two things never there's not a jarring like it really like Summer of Soul, it's a movie that illustrates how music is intertwined with the world and our experience of it and our understanding of it. Um, okay, moving on to uh, Helena Ryan's or Rain's uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I have to say it like um, Jan Brady because uh, I, I did that on the on the fall movie or the summer movie preview uh and also to say because i'm 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 not among the people who are in love uh, or at least enamored of this movie it's a uh it's a play on slasher movies i won't um give away that you know it, it the way it ways it deviates from that formula um that i actually i actually do like you know plot wise i like the 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 payoff it's um uh um is a it's a it's a fun movie in that sense but the problem of it problem with it is that it's it seems to be aiming to satirize a certain type of very online like liberal millennial upper middle class uh, uh, person that it basically does it by having everyone talk in like Twitter speak essentially um, and you know talking a lot about things being toxic and gaslighting and blah 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 um, and uh, all of this while these terrible things are going on and um this is clearly like 
I guess the idea is that these these words and these ways of looking at the world have become a uh, um, something to an affectation for points or clout or status or whatever. But it reminded me of, I guess, years ago at this point, um, 2017, 2018, uh, Todd Solondz made a movie called Wiener Dog. And there's a shot in that movie, part of the movie takes place at a uh, New York City, you know, liberal, a liberal arts college, I guess it's a liberal a liberal arts college, but also a, an art college, um, people by liberals. Uh, and there's a student, a very, like, fashionable, cool, um, probably rich, uh, pretty white girl um, student who's sitting around the student lounge wearing an I can't breathe t-shirt. And that that shot is more bracing and I think says in one shot what Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is trying to say in its entire movie. And uh, I just found the whole thing a, a little too superficial. Okay. Another documentary. Uh, Voyeur. Um, I've been meaning to get through this for a while because I like Gay Talese, uh, or at least I'm interested in Gay Talese, and the story is interesting. Um, it's uh, Gay Talese wrote a, an entire book about a guy in... Uh, Colorado who owned a motel and built a like walkway above the rooms so that he could spy on people while they were living their lives and often having sex is the main thing I think he was looking for um, and uh, it's a pretty fascinating story um, but uh, yeah I mean, the documentary is uh, I feel like it, it sets up like I mean, you have Gay Talese even say a thing like, well, as a journalist who reports on people, I'm kind of a voyeur too, but it doesn't really explore the similarities between the two men. It's um, mostly this guy's kind of delusional and Gay Talese is um, like, and, and not in a way that I'm judging, but like willing to let him be delusional um, to get the story out of him um i don't think that's wrong of gage least to do as a as a journalist he's not lying to the guy he's um uh, just listening um but uh it's still it's a human interest documentary that um like a lot of these human interest documentaries on netflix will will pass the time uh let's move on to i'm going to call it right now best doc of the year so far, the year 2022, directed by Amelie Van Elmt and Maya Duverdier. It's called Dreaming Walls Inside the Chelsea Hotel. And um, this is a movie that I didn't know. I'm glad I didn't know anything about it when I went to see it. I just knew it was a documentary about the Chelsea Hotel based on the the, the title. And I guess I just assumed it was going to be about the history of the Chelsea Hotel and like why, you know, how many, all the different artists who passed through its doors and 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 why and we do get some of that you know it starts with patty smith uh, that's like the opening is patty smith on the roof um but then we get to the roof immediately like followed up with the roof now and we realize that now so the chelsea hotel has changed hands and is being 
remodeled and 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 turned into you know it's essentially being gentrified i guess is um the term but there are still people who live there and have lived there for decades and the movie is mostly focused on the old timers from the art scene often like the 70s and 80s um who still live in in the chelsea and are living while the place is being uh you know disfigured some might say uh, uh around them and so it's a uh, a movie about how much how much can history imbue a place or how much can a place be imbued by history and what does it take to undo that i think the question that hangs over the movie is is there something spiritually or or whatever in the essence in the ether in the in that in that building that will always make it the chelsea hotel or when these people uh die or get you know um evicted (laughs) uh uh will it uh will it go away with them um Okay. Uh, so uh, absolutely like beautiful, lovely uh, movie. Dreaming Walls Inside the Chelsea Hotel. Oh man. Finish lines in sight, I swear, guys. Uh, next, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this uh, at any length because I'm going to direct you over to the Cast of Cthulhu podcast, uh, which I was a guest on. Because two years ago, I was a guest on the Cast of Cthulhu, Cthulhu podcast to talk about... Um, um Stuart Gordon's television and made for TV made for Showtime adaptation of HP Lovecraft's Dreams in the Witch House. Uh and now there's a new uh movie directed by a guy named Bobby Easley um called HP Lovecraft Lovecraft's Witch House that is a modern day and uh uh gender swapped uh, retelling of Dreams in the Witch House and that I volunteered myself to go back on the podcast to talk about this movie um so you can hear me talk about it at length on the cast cthulhu podcast the upshot is in some ways it's the dumb cheap movie uh, exploitative movie it seems to be but uh in no- many other ways there's nothing wrong with that and it's not actually uh, a-, a bad movie let's uh move on to another documentary that i liked i'm gonna say kind of despite myself or rather it won me over because it started off uh, I started off my, my, my shields went up because I was like, this looks cutesy. I don't like cutesy, generally. Uh, the documentary is directed by John O. McLeod. It's called My Old School. And uh, it's the the my is literal. It's, it's a documentary about something that happened, and I won't say what, at um, John O. McLeod's high school in Scotland in the 90s. Um, the and, and John O. McLeod has gathered as the interviewees the talking heads or whatever for this story all of his old classmates including the one the movie is about except that guy for reasons i won't go into but will be clear is if you watch the the movie that guy agreed to be interviewed but would not appear on camera and so 
they get Alan coming to sort of like lip sync to his interview. And then the stories that the, that the different um, interviewees and this guy tell are all animated. So that, that was what I was getting out at first. And I was, when I was like, oh, this looks like a, trying to be too, too clever. Um, but the fact of the matter is it's a great story <laughs> that I, again, won't, um, won't spoil. It's it's a great story, but also beyond that, the movie captures this experience and this feeling of getting together with people you haven't seen in a long time and reminiscing about something that happened when you all used to know each other and be friends. And so, uh, it, beyond just being a good story, it does what I think good art should do is it replicates a feeling um and an emotion uh and that's that camaraderie and nostalgia um that um that i'm talking about and uh yeah i um even though i had my defenses up like i said i ended up quite liking it um what's next what is next next is a movie called a love song which um, is that next? Yes, a love song. Uh, a new movie from this year directed by Mark, no, not Mark, Max Walker Silverman, and it stars. I love these. Uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for these movies where like longtime character actors get leading roles, and so this movie stars Dale Dickey, and co-stars Wes Studi, um, and um, uh, they've both. They were childhood sweethearts. They um, have both since um, lost their spouses um, and plan to decide to meet up again at a campground in the, I don't know if it's, did I write down uh, where it is? It's um, um, Idaho, I think. Um, and uh, uh, the, the movie, uh, again, it has kind of a, terse way of speaking that seems maybe a little at first a little pleased with itself um the the, the dialogue i mean itself i'm not talking about the way the movie talks i'm talking about the way the characters talk um uh but it does what that sort of like sort of staccato dialogue should do is it it creates a, a rhythm and so the the movie which is, I don't know, um, movie length. Oh, it's only 81 minutes. So that's probably why. I was going to say it kind of flies by because it puts you in its, um, uh, in its, in its cadence and, and, um, time seems to stand still and, and, or, and, or pass very quickly at the same time, uh, while you're watching the movie, uh, because it has that, um, the rhythm of the dialogue but also there's like for instance there's on the edge of the campgrounds there's an oil derrick and through a lot of the scenes in the movie you just hear like you just hear it like whining um and creaking and it becomes hypnotic almost and uh uh in a way the movie is also obviously it's about people uh decades later in their life looking back in a different way than my old school was uh it has that that bittersweet um uh feeling to it i, I it, another it's another movie that really uh 
took me caught me by surprise and um and uh cast a spell on me over me um all right next up is a movie from 2007 that i remember hearing about when it was new and wanting to see but um kind of forgot about it but a 2007 movie called in search of a midnight kiss uh, directed by alex holdridge uh starring a then not very famous at all scoot mcnary um and uh, this is definitely i would say uh, uh right in that mix of what we call mumblecore um it's basically about a uh guy who uh at his friend's prodding uses craigslist this is 2007 um to try and find a date for new year's eve so he can he's a sad sack the scoot mcnary plays a sad sack um if you can imagine um and uh he's uh trying to find a date date for new year's eve so he can um have someone to kiss at midnight and uh uh, and he finds a woman, uh, meets up with a woman, uh, played by an actress named Sarah Simmons. And in such a midnight case is basically, it has a, like a B plot as well, but it basically is one of those like before midnight type of like two characters walk around and talk all night type of, of, of movies. Um, yeah, it's not, um, breaking a lot of new ground, but I'll say, there's a part of me that is really glad I didn't see it 15 years ago when it was new. Um, that that I saw it now so that I could have the experience of viewing it as a time capsule of Hollywood and downtown Los Angeles at a time that I was, even though I'm a bit young, I was a bit younger at the time than these characters would have been, uh, that I was hanging out in. Um, it feels like a movie that... Uh, loves the city the characters actually ride the subway which um happens too rarely in in la movies uh and um it's also a here's another refreshing thing it's a winter in la movie that doesn't try to lie and act like everyone's like like winter is the same as july or whatever like yeah no it's not there's not snow on the ground it's you know it's maybe in the 40s but it actually feels like winter in los angeles people are wearing you know heavy jackets <laughs> you know a scarf <laughs> it's um uh, I, I i liked it more as a an la time capsule movie than any than anything else but it's still there's a great um there's chemistry between um Scooping Nary and Sarah Simmons that uh, can't overlook. Uh, all right. Next up is a 1994 movie that has recently been restored uh, directed by Ayoka Chenzira. It's called Alma's Rainbow. Um, and the title is very clever because the mother and the character is named Alma, Alma and her daughter's name is Rainbow. So it's Alma's Rainbow. Um, but... Uh, it's uh, a 1994 like New York City uh, independent film that I'm glad has been rediscovered. Um, Julie Dash is sort of like presenting this uh, um, th- this movie. Um, it's um, it's a mother daughter uh, relationship movie, but um, the 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 mom in this case 
is the practical one. The daughter is the wannabe free spirit, but also not fully um, at ease with herself yet. She um, uh, doesn't know that she wants to be what uh, uh, she seems to be on the path to being. Um, but then her, the mother's sister, aka Rainbow's uh, aunt, um, Ruby, comes to stay with them, and she's an actress and performer, and bohemian, um, and 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 she um, uh, inspires a lot in in Rainbow. But the movie gets across. The the movie is not uh, condemning Alma or glorifying Ruby. Uh, it's a very honest and humanistic movie that manages that very tight tightrope um, thing that I I think the best um, coming of age movies do, which is getting us to see the world through the eyes of the um, naive character but also acknowledging that we are generally more wizened <laughs> than she is, that like there's more going on that she can see, but we also see it from her point of view at the same time. It's a very difficult thing that only, like I said, only the best coming of age movies do it right. And uh, Almost Rainbow is one of them. I, I really, really liked it. Uh, all right, we are up to the last two movies. Next was a brand new movie called Breaking, directed by Abby Damaris Corbin. Um, it's based on a true story, um, a very sad true story of a Marine veteran, Marine veteran who um, held some people hostage in a bank to try and get the uh, veteran affairs to pay him the money that uh, he believes he's owed by them. Um, and uh, John Boyega plays the the man in in, in question. Uh, Nicole Beharry plays the bank manager, and Michael K. Williams, the late Michael K. Williams, plays the police hostage negotiator. Uh, there's also a couple of other, you know uh, people of some note in the movie. Connie Britton plays a news producer. Jeffrey Donovan plays a a different uh, a different cop, um, but. I named Jean Boyega Nicole Bahari and um, uh, Michael K. Williams up top because I think that's the important thing about the movie. The movie is uh, it, it 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 does the thing that I uh, I love to see in that it's very much a movie about racism and class and how we treat military veterans and 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 um it's about all of these things but it's illustrating them through character and drama first and it is no coincidence that the three characters who spend the most time talking to one another are all black characters john boyega nicole bahari and michael k williams uh characters um it's it's no coincidence that we're seeing the world uh their way um uh and and that we're 
without over explaining it to the audience that might be um you know me (laughs) not black um without over explaining it letting us understand that there are things passing between these characters that other characters don't see not that they're hidden but they literally can't see that these three characters understand what's going on at at a level that the news and the other cops um maybe can't or at least haven't tried to or 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 haven't been aware of in the past uh it, it's uh and it fantastically performed by all of these actors um i mean it's based on a true story it's a sad story um it's not like a fun friday night viewing um it's it's heavy stuff but uh i i i really think it's in the tradition of of good um social issue dramas that that don't uh ignore the drama part of 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 that uh and finally i finished i followed up in search for midnight kiss with alex holdridge's only other directorial effort uh co-directed with uh Linny assassin it's called meet me in montenegro um and it is not two characters walking around a city for uh one night but it is still uh mostly that alex holdridge and Linny assassin star as the two characters um who um had a fling together in the past and then on chance uh but by chance uh reunite in berlin and spend some time hanging out together in berlin there's also stuff shot in uh los angeles and in london and uh uh, as the title would suggest in Montenegro. Um, and so uh, I don't know if this is 2014. I don't know if you would still consider this mumblecore. Probably not. But uh, if it is, it is the rare, like, globe-trotting mumblecore movie. Um, I don't think it uh, captures its moment quite as 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 well as um, as In Search of Midnight Kiss did. But maybe I need to re-watch and revisit it in another seven years or so. And... Uh, and, and see if my opinion on that has changed.